Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Little Nishmas, Chaim Bechanan Yom Teflipe, Shmuel Yaakov and Meisha, and Jeanette Bas Ibrahim Akain. Can't seem to get an angle here to get this light out of my head. As the month of other begins, we add, we multiply in simcha, in joy. Ha. This coming week, Mirchem. Hey, other Aleph, other Rishon. Here's the Shmark, the Shleishim of Rav Ephraim, Rav Hananya Yom Teflipa. The epitome of Simcha. And it's interesting to note that the Gemara tells us, Kishem, just as if, just like, Shenichnas of Mimaitin Besimcha, that when Av begins, we minimize in Simcha. Same way also, Mishnichnas other Marbim Besimcha, when other comes in, we add in Simcha. We add in joy. What is the comparison? The comparison we find a simple one, an interesting one actually. We've spoken many times, the, er- the day of Erev Rishchidosh Ov is the happiest day of the year. That being because Mishinichnas Oder Marm B'Simcha, it says when other starts, we start to add Simcha. It doesn't say what this year, what the amount is of adding. As a matter of fact, it's to keep adding. And the Tered, nobody tells us, nobody says, stop adding until way down the line when it comes to Mishinichnas Ov. So until then, we're adding each day. So therefore, the Erev Rosh Ov is a tremendously high day, happy day. But Ov comes in and says, Mishimaitin. It comes in and says, oh, you have to stop, you have to minimize Simcha. Now, of course, the Chassidish explanation to that is, Mishimaitin Ov, when Ov comes in, Mishimaitin, we minimize all the problems. How? Simcha. when it comes to joy. So obviously it's not really such, so problematic the fact that of we have to God forbid minimize our simcha. But the fact is the Mishnichnas other is marbin besimcha. Once other comes in, we start to add in simcha. This adding, this multiplying of simcha overpowers and outsourced out to any level pushes out the minimal simcha, the minimizing of the simcha that takes place in of. And therefore, kishem, just like simcha is minimized in of, so too it is added in other, which means that the adding of other, the simcha is so great that it compensates, it banks, it balances out God forbid the decrease, diminishing of Simcha in the month of Av. This year we have, Baruch Hashem, 60 days of Adr. There are two months of Adr because in the Jewish leap year, 
we don't add one day or one week, we add an entire month. And this being a Jewish leap year, and therefore we add a second month of other. Therefore this is called Chedesh Adar Rishayim. It's marked, some calendars are marked other Aleph, but it's called other Rishayim, the first other. And then there's the second other. And there are many different halachic ramifications of the two others. Whether it be birthdays, whether it be outsides. A yardside being an anniversary of a person's passing. If a person died in a regular year, not a leap year, and therefore there was only one other, do they keep that yardside in the first other or the second other? Um, if a person passed away in a first other and then the, the next year is a regular other, when do they keep their yardside? Do they perhaps keep it in Shvat? Um, and the other ramifications and questions which come up, and these of course all refer to, to a rabbi, you would go to your local rabbi and discuss it with him, and he will tell you how to, the customs of what, when, where, with this is concerned. Baruch Hashem, we're having here in New York, Gishmei Bracha, and I spoke to my wife, and Yisrael, Atzein Agdesha, is also being blessed with rain, and as the Shkedim, the almonds are starting to blossom in Israel, so too all other blessings and all of the fruits and all children that are in Israel that are zeichah to breathe the air of Eretz Yisrael, whether it be for another week, for another month, for another year, for another day, for another hour, the last few breaths they're taking in Eretz Yisrael at Sein for now, for the moment until Mashiach comes tonight, and we'll all be in Eretz Yisrael together. Not saying Agdesha. Anyone traveling, of course, should have a safe trip and a Siyat Teva and Kshuda. They should arrive safely at their destinations. Um, Let us go to two parshas to Ruma. A very rich parsha, a bit short, Yachasid, but a very, very rich parsha. We now finished our two days of Rishchidish, and of course, Chedish Other has, of course, connection with Chedish Other has connection with parshas Truma because parshas Truma is usually always read in Chedish Other. Let us see what Chedish, uh, what Parshas Truma is all about. Beginning with the Vayasuli Migdash, Vishachanti Besechem, each and every person, each and every Jew, is a Migdash Ma'at, is a small little temple, a minor temple. And we need to see to it to sanctify this temple. We need to see to it that we make holy this temple, and that we keep holy this temple. And there are many, many mitzvahs, whether it be Negalas in the morning, whether it be Krishna at night. The simplest Meidani, which we're going to discuss in Yatashem today in this year, how the day starts with the Meidani and all these Tvilais culminate and grow and come up from ultimately the first.
first Maidani throughout the rest of the Tfilis of the day. Moshe Rabbeinu is being is commanded by by the Almighty God to build a Mishkan, and in the Mishkan to put certain vessels. Okay. The instructions are simple enough: how to build and how to make. Urei va'asei. In this week's parsha, chapter twenty-eight, verse forty. See and do in the same way that they are in their forms that I've showed you on the mountain. However, when it came to actually making the vessels of the Mishkan, Chazal tell us in Medish Rabban Dvarim. Meshe Rabbeinu had a hard time with the Menera and could not figure out how to make the Menera. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructed him. The Almighty instructs him, throw the amount of gold that is needed for a Menera. Take that allotted gold, let us say the 10 ounces that have to be, Throw it into the flame, and the menorah will make itself. And that's exactly what happens. Moshe Rabbeinu takes the allotted amount of gold, tosses it into the fire, the burning fire, and out came the perfectly shaped, sized menorah. Many different things had to be built here in the, in, the, in the Mishkan. Many different vessels. None of them easy. But we don't find the Mishra Beno had a hard time with them. Why? What was his problem with the Menorah? It was intricate. Don't put it down. The cups and the vessels and the flowers and everything else, it was... And it had to be made out of one piece. You couldn't add pieces onto it, stick pieces onto it, which would make it so much easier. It needed to be one piece of gold, and take that piece of gold and form the Menorah. But a lot of things had to happen in the Mishkan. Why the Menorah is so difficult? Let us see. Let us examine. We just said now, the Pasuk that says, Asher Atamor Ebahor. You were shown on the mountain. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed Moshe a Menera. He showed him the model. Why couldn't he do it? It was a kunst to do it. It was a trick, but he was talented. He was intelligent. Mesha didn't just see a Menera. He didn't just see a piece of gold formed 
in artisan fashion. He saw the intention of the Mineta. He saw the reason for its existence. He saw the inner soul of the Mineta. And therefore, he had a little issue here. The concept that physical items could be a dwelling place for God was a foreign thing to him in its own. A shulchan, a table, an urn, the ark, the menedah, the mizbeach, etc., the altar. What do these things have to do with the resting of the, of the Almighty? The Shekhinah is going to rest on these physical, mundane things. Shleimah Melech asked the same question, actually. He says, Heina Shemayim, Mishmei Hashemayim, Leyelach Al-Kalucha. Vavke Abayas Hazeh? You didn't find anywhere. Heavens and the heavens of heavens. Only in this little temple. So the Cheda, needs to be made spiritually. God bless you. Teaches us Teda. The learning of Teda. Thank you. The prayers. The person prays with intention. The feelings emotionally connecting to God, love of God, fear of God, that's how one gets close to God. I understand that. I can relate to that. I can relate to the fact that the person loftily prays and brings down godliness into the world. But physical mundane issues, the physical mundane items, how does this house Shechina? Where does it come, the line, the finite line of godliness? And the house of physical, a physical house with physical items. This is what Moshe could not decipher. But the item that got his gut the most was the Meneda. Why the Meneda? More than anything else. The Meneda was not needed to illuminate the Mishkan. The Meneda, the candelabra that was lit within the Mishkan, was not there in order to bring light there into the Mishkan. The Mishkan had its own light, its own source. What was the Meneda for? It was Eidus Leboy Elam Shashchina Shedeb Yisrael. If you keep your score at home, it's Gemara Mesech Shabbos, 
Chav Beis Amid Beis, talking about my Hanukkah. The Minneda was testimony to the world. <clears throat> it lit, it illuminated the entire world. Testimony to the fact that God is in this world. In that case, if everyone saw that the Shekhinah rested here through this Minneda, this is what Mesha wanted to know. What did this Minneda have? that brought about such beautiful, such intricate, and such a lesson to the world. Therefore, Kaddish Baruch answers, it's not something that you can physically do, that you, the human being, can do. It comes from godliness. Only godliness can actually do this. The godliness which is known as Ain Saif. <coughs> the Ain Saif of the Creator. Where there is no boundaries by God. He wants Dafka. He wants especially this Mineta of gold should reveal His holiness throughout the world. And that's why He did it. That's why it happened. Not because a physical human being caused it. Not because a physical human being built it. Not because a physical human being lit it. But because this is what God wanted. Therefore God told him, throw the gold into the the fire. And the menada will form itself. was magic it was God himself that made it because the Meneda did not stand for anything physical in this world the Meneda stood for pure spirituality for pure godliness this has a lesson to us as well although we don't have a base Hamidash today the heart of each and every Jew is the Mishkan of God. Is the dwelling place of God. The Jew needs to invite godliness to rest within him. within his soul and with everything that he does or touches or he owns or touches tells us that it's not enough just to see to it that God rests in spiritual things in our lives in our Torah, in our Tefillah, in our Mitzvahs that's not sufficient it needs to be in every physical aspect that we have every physical aspect of our life needs to be a dwelling place for God. So when we sell, throw ourselves into the fire, when we throw ourselves into the flame of God, the love of God, then we make ourselves 
through the Koyach of Ein Seif of God, we make ourselves a Meneda, which has a flame which rises up to God. God has many, many ways, many different Way back in 1977, 78, we were a group of boys, 10 boys in Caracas, Venezuela. And we merited to touch the hearts and souls of many, many Jews, young and old alike. One of the Bakram of our group made a connection with a boy, a young boy, made a very strong connection, and he s- took the boy out of the local schooling and sent him off to Israel to study in the yeshiva. He was a bright boy and did very well, he excelled there. Different problems, unfortunately, arose. The Sultan didn't like what he saw, probably. And the boy, unfortunately, left Yeshiva and left everything behind. Fast forward about 39 to 40 years. This Bakr, Baksha married now, father or grandfather of children, grandchildren, lives on the other end of the world in Australia. And he deals, I believe, in electronics. And therefore his business finds him in Hong Kong, often. And one business trip in Hong Kong, he was there for a Shabbos. And this younger man, a young man, comes over to him in a capota, dressed looking like a regular Lubavitcher young man. He says, Shalom, he says, Shalom. They're talking. As they're talking, the older fellow, that was in Caracas years ago, detected an accent. And he says to him, I detect you have an accent. Where are you from? And he answers no more, no less, Caracas, Venezuela. He says, wow. You always lived there? He says, yes. Do you remember the yeshiva there? He says, I know the yeshiva there. He says, do you remember the first group? He says, no, I wasn't there. when I was. A, didn't come around when the first group was there. Um, I came around a little while later. He says, I want to tell you my story. Now he says to him, who's great, what age are you? And it turns out he was the same age as this other fellow that unfortunately, last we heard, had gone astray. And nothing. And he actually knew him and he was in contact with him. What happened to you? How did you become a Lubavitcher Chassid? 
So this is interesting. He says, when I went to school in Moralidosis, there was a girl in my grade that intrigued me. I was interested. I wanted to go out with her. However, the fellow said, my parents died. I was an orphan. I didn't have much money. And the girls are all high maintenance there, and there wasn't much of a commodity because I didn't have any money. So she wouldn't even look in my direction. Bye, Yoimi says. The day came. And I said to God, I am willing to put on tefillin every day. God, I want you to please put in her mind that she should want to meet me. And I did just that. I started putting on tefillin every day. I didn't keep kosher, I didn't keep shabbos, I didn't keep anything else, but I put on tefillin every day. And lo and behold, she never showed any interest in me. We graduated high school. And she ended up in my class in university. She was in my class and she remembered me from high school and everything else. And she started talking and we started dating. And we got engaged to be married. And I keep putting on film every day, mind you. He says, and I go to yeshiva and we talk to the boys and everything about yeshiva, about learning, but nothing really connected. Had a connection a little bit with the boys, but nothing of a spiritual, nothing great spiritual realm. My wedding was on a Sunday, and on Sunday night we had a flight to Israel. We were going to go for the Honeymoon for two weeks to the Holy Land. So I was talking to one of the Bachram, he says, in Yeshiva, and I told him that I'm going to go to Israel right after the wedding. So the the Bachram told me, what about Sheva Brachos? Sheva Brachot? He says, I don't know, we'll see. It's a Chosen and a Kala, the whole week after the wedding, you have to have Sheva Brachot. Now, I understand Hebrew a little bit. And he told me Sheva Brachot means, I know, means seven blessings. So my wife and I decided that this sounds like a beautiful thing. We arrive in Israel, and we go straight to the Kotal HaMaravi, the Western Wall, Wailing Wall. And we see a nice Jew sitting there, with a nice white beard flowing. And I walked over to him and I said to him, Shalom Aleichem. I just got married last two nights ago. I'd like seven blessings. Okay, he looked at me like I fell off the moon. So I was told, Chosin Kala, I have to get seven blessings. We want seven blessings. So the guy said, okay. And he blessed us with happiness and health and wealth. and It was beautiful. Seven blessings he gave us. And we said, we're going to keep this up all week long. Anytime we find somebody that looks like a nice Jew, we're going to ask them to give us seven blessings. And that's what was going on. And we kept asking people, they kept giving us seven blessings. 
Our plan, our itinerary, took us Friday night to Tzvas, up north, to the holy city of Tzvas. And we came to the holy city of Tzvas, and the hotel was right next to Chabad, to Shul Chabad. So I said to my wife, the next morning I'm going to get up early, I'm going to go to the Shul. We know Chabad from Caracas, so we'll go. So I came into the shul Shabbos morning, and there was a chassid sitting there, learning. And I walked over to him and I said to him, my wife's not here, I hope it still counts. I got married Sunday, and we want, I want seven blessings from you. And he says, Huh? I asked him if he spoke English, and I asked, and he asked, I asked him the same question everybody else, and he looked at me like I had five eyes. He says, "What are you talking about, young man?" He says, "I was told that the week after the wedding, we get we have to get seven blessings." Now this chassid, unlike all the other wonderful, beautiful Jews of Israel. Realized exactly what was going on here. He realized we had just gotten married on Sunday, and this was our Shabbos Shabbos The deal is the meaning. The custom is that for the week after the Chasana, the Chasan Kala come together every night or day and night, whenever it is a meal that they get together ten people, and they wash for the meal. And by the grace after meals, by benching after benching, the Shavuot is the same Shavuot that was recited under the chuppah, recited for the chasen kala. That's what Shavuot means: seven blessings. Well, this the Babaji young man understood. It's Shabbos Shavuot for this fellow, and he obviously has no clue what Shavuot is. So he says to him, tell me, young man, where are you eating lunch today? He says, I have no plans. <laughs> okay, you're coming to me. Uh, we daven in an hour. Chabad, they start 10, some 10.30. And then after davening, you and your wife come to me to eat. I live in this in this building, this is my address. Um, come to this in this apartment. Okay. In the meantime, the young man, the the chassan goes back to the hotel to tell his wife they're going for lunch somewhere. She should get ready and dressed. The Lubavitcher closed his safe and ran home and started knocking on all the doors in his building. And he told everybody we're having a chassan kala for Shavu Brachas. And they knew exactly which apartment in the building was the biggest. And everybody pooled together. They brought all their pots and the pans. It's in the building, it's in Erev. And everybody brought all their food, and they set up the tables beautifully for everybody, all the families together. And the Chasakala come in, and everybody starts to sing and to dance. They were mortified, they had no idea what happened here, these guys. They thought this is, <laughs> they had no idea what to think. Kids said they were sat down by a beautiful table, a special space, and the table was set 
as nice as it could be said on the last minute's notice. They obviously probably did not have a large challah. Um, they sit down, they wash. They make Kiddush, they wash. And the speeches start. But this wasn't the average speeches of Shev Brachas. Each speaker got up and explained the concept of Shev Brachas. Explained to the Chosen Kala seven blessings they had to get. And they sang songs, and the food, and the more songs, and more food. And the camaraderie, and all the families together, it was like something these guys could not, just, just couldn't fathom. Finally, the Kala leans over and tells the Chosen something. And he gets up, and he's crying practically. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you thank you, first of all, for inviting us for lunch. But more importantly, I'd like to tell you that I just spent the whole week making a total fool out of myself, or being made a fool out of by all these people. I didn't know what it meant. I asked people for seven blessings, and they gave me seven blessings. I come to Chabad, and they hear what I'm saying, and they don't let me ride the rope. They don't send me on a, ro- on a wild goose chase. They don't shake me off and say, okay, here's seven blessings. They make a Sheva Brachas. They make a seven blessings the way it's supposed to be done. My wife and I are touched to the core. And we see now this is what true Judaism is. And therefore, Abayi my wife and I have decided we are going to start undertaking from today on to become full-fledged from Jews. Whatever it takes to learn what to do, we will learn. And this is who we are now, and this is who we are now going to become. We're going to become Hasidim of Chabad, like all of everybody here. Because we see that this is true family and camaraderie. He says, and the story, the rest is history. I'm standing here before you. This is my kapota. And I daven in Chabad, and I learn chsidis, and I daven with a minion three times a day, and house is 100%, etc. So he tells him, yeah, he's still in touch with this old other friend of his. So the younger man in in Australia, who is now in Hong Kong, tells him, if you want, give this fellow my number. And he gave him his number. And lo and behold, he started getting texts or WhatsApp from the fellow. Questions. The boy, apparently, the young man is now is married and everything with children, and he's studying Tanya, and he has questions on Tanya. So he WhatsApps some of his questions on Tanya. Recently, he WhatsApped him saying that he just finished Masechta's Brachas. What Masechta should he start after? So this fellow that had gone astray found his way back to this original Bacha through the fellow of the Sheva Brachas in Hong Kong.
Hashem puts together the pieces. Hashem keeps that flame burning everywhere in the world. And this, the human being cannot manage to do on his own. This is something that only God Himself can put together in just bits and pieces. Um, they had to make Krashim, the beams for the Mishkan. As Pashastrum is discussing, as we said, the different parts of the Mishkan. What were they made out of? Atsei Shitim Eimdim. They were made out of wood, Archaea wood. Acacia wood. Excuse me, Acacia wood. Flek develt Akasha. The question is asked immediately. Where the heavens name did they get Atseshitim? They were in a desert. So big pieces. Eser Ames, Eirech HaKeresh, Ten Ames. It's big stuff. Where did it come from? Rashi asks this question because it obviously bothers the Mechamesh the Mikra. And he brings an answer, but Rashi doesn't have the answer on his own. He quotes a Medrash and he says, Medrash Tanachuma says, tells us, Yaakov Avinu had the spirit of uh, Holy Spirit rest upon him, and he knew that the Jews ultimately would build a tabernacle in the desert. So what did he do before he came down to Egypt? He brought these trees, these cedar trees, to Egypt with him and planted them. And told the children, when you leave Egypt, you take them with you. Beautiful. And we see the same thing in Parashva Yakel, where it talks about the actual Mishkan being built. Teda says that the Atzei Shittim that they brought, where did they find them from? These were trees that they took with them from Mitzrayim. Um, Newsflash. It was over 200 years before the servitude of Egypt and Yaakov was worried about bringing these trees to Egypt. and planting them there, and commanding his children, and telling them, when you leave, you take them with you, so that you can use them for the Mishkan. This just brings up major questions here. Because in the end, in the desert, they could have bought these trees. They could have had merchants coming by and bought them. Or they could have sent messengers to some forests and bring it. 
what gives with Yaakov Avinu? What's this whole story about? Yaakov's intentions were very, very deep. He wanted to give consolation to his children. He wanted to console them. He wanted to give them peace of mind. And therefore, in order to be able to get through the exile, it wasn't enough hearing from HaKadosh Baruch I will take you up. But the fact that the Atzei Shittim were there, and they saw these trees growing constantly, and they remembered the promise of the redemption, they remembered about the building of the Mishkan, and this therefore, seeing the Atzei Shittim gave them the strength. And there's another thing to this. What's going on here? Help. I know that was attacked. Another thing. Yaakov Havius Aitzel He brought them to Mitzrayim. He didn't plant in Egypt Arazim. He brought from Esisrael Arazim and replanted them in inside. He brought the, the saplings. This gave the tremendous Nechama to the Jews. When they saw with their own eyes that these were Israeli-made material, this made a different thing for them. This made a whole different oppression. Because they knew now that there is an Etzisrael, there is a holy land from which they will be redeemed from this exile and taken to that one. And we add another thing here. Another little point showing about this Nechama is that Rashi doesn't quote his own words. He brings it from Rabbi Tanchuma. Tanchuma Loshan of Tanchumim. Condolences. And this was the Nechama that they were Menachem the Eden that were so deep in exile. They should see with their own eyes the trees, the wood, and from them they should build the Mishkan. And this would become their their Gula. And therefore, even for us, in our exile, (coughs) HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us a Nechama of that magnitude. These are Razim, these trees are the Tzadikim of the generation. It says, Sadik Katomar Yifroch Keeres Balvonoin Yiske. 
These Siddiqim, these righteous people are higher than Golas. And they hold back. No one. And they hold back. The Jews, from God forbid, sinking too deep into the exile. And they awaken their hearts to redemption. And with the strength of these Sadiqim, Amisol merits the redemption And they can bear the few moments that we have left in the exile until we merit to the Geula Mitzvah Shlema Yedei Mashiach Tzikenu Yavei V'Yigaleinu Tekev Miyad Mamesh In Berdichiv Shamus was sent out, he was dispatched to find Shlema. But not just Shlema, he was asked to find Shlema ben Yuta. Now it would be nice if he knew who Shlema ben Yuta was, he could find him. Unfortunately, he did not know who Shlaim ben Yuta was. And he walked the streets. Wandered the streets. Asking, does anybody know who he is? And, <coughs> nobody knew. Finally, one person says, oh, wait a minute, Shlema Ben Yuta, I don't know if his name is Ben Yuta, I don't know if his mother's name is Yuta or not, but there is a Shlema, an elderly Jew, that lives at the outskirts of the town. I'll tell you exactly how to get there. And... He, name is Shlema, he's a teacher, he's a malamed of little kids, and he sits there to himself, he never disturbs, never has anything to do with anybody. That might be him, and he shows him exactly how to get to him, and that's it. And he goes, and he walks to the house, and he comes there, he knocks on the door, old wrecking shed. And he says, Are you Shlema Ben Yuta? 
And he says, yes. And he says to him, the Badichev would like to speak to you. Oh, okay. Give me, I'll, I'll be there soon. Give me some time. And Shamus goes home. Shamus goes home. And a few hours later, Shlemus shows up. The Badichev comes out of his house to greet him. And he walks with him inside. And they come in. And they sit down, face to face. And they're staring at each other. They're not saying a word. Nothing. And after two hours, they stood up, they burst out laughing. They shook hands and they part ways. Shamish comes over to the Badichiv and says, uh, Rebbe, if you don't mind me asking, <coughs> what was that? <coughs> and he tells him, I heard in Shemayim that there was a terrible decree about to be put on the Eden. On our district. In the Polish parliament, the session, <laughs> funny because I have a Czechoslovakian friend that's going to hear this later and he's going to tell me what that, how I mispronounced that word. Whatever it is, the Polish parliament they were going to sign a decree to drive the Jews into exile out of the region. And I prayed, and I was told that if I got Shleiman ben Yuta, who is a hidden tzaddik, to join forces with me, and Aliyah and Avi visits him regularly, maybe that would help. So you brought him here, we sat down, and we considered the situation. The mere fact that all the Jews, God forbid, be torn out of their homes, sent to wander, lose their livelihoods, was horrifying. We couldn't even speak a word. <coughs> so we just sat there praying silently. In the parliament, the Polish parliament is a tradition, the golden rule. If any single nobleman, one nobleman, gets up and says, I object, the whole thing goes fifing. And we're sitting together, and we're watching what's going on in the parliament, and one nobleman after the other is batting away that the Jews should be thrown out. Finally, a nobleman walks in, a.k.a. Elio Anavi, Elijah the prophet, dressed as a Polish nobleman, lifts up his hand and screams, I object! 
You object? Dead in the water. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Needless to say, that was enough for us to laugh. What's funny was, the rest of the noblemen started fighting with each other. How do we even come up with this idea? <coughs> what kind of damage it would have caused to our country? The poverty would have made sugar. We had to laugh from that. So we left, we left, and Abishlema went home. The Shamus was well aware in that case that the Baditchava had one foot on the ground and one foot in heaven. He was always looking out for all these different decrees. Years after the, the Baditchava passed away, Nachun Chernobyl was going to start Kol Nidre. In Hishul, he was about to start Kol Nidre. And he was waiting. And he was waiting. And he was waiting, getting nervous. Everybody was getting nervous. And then all of a sudden he started. Huh? They asked him later, what happened? What took you so long to start? And he answered, He says, when I was about to start, I saw in heaven, Levitzchik Baditschev was laid out prostrate in front of the Kisiyakovid, the throne, the royal throne, and he was praying. So I had to wait for him to finish davening for everything to be taken care of before I could start. Let's just get one more point, although it's after 10 o'clock on New York time, but this year has been short because I started late. In the Badea Oren, the staffs that were in the Oren, the sticks, the rods, were always in there, they were fixed inside. They could never be taken out never be moved, so in case they had to travel, travel, they were ready to travel. Why? Because if, God forbid, it was not put in 100% right, they had to move, they had to transport, it could slip. But if it was set in properly, and not movable, then it would be firmly in its place. Whenever they left, picked up, and went and traveled, it would always, always be in the right place. The fact that the order needed to be firmly, securely fastened is an important lesson to us. In this order, in this ark, there were the Ten Commandments. Which, as we know, the luchas, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, comprise all 613 mitzvahs. 
thus this urn which housed the Lucas is a metaphor for Torah study through which one's mind and heart become a home for the Torah's wisdom to succeed in study of Torah one requires intense concentration sometimes most times one needs to remove themselves entirely from outside distractions and we see this from the Aaron itself, the, the Ark it was hidden away in the Holy of Holies and in this chamber it was, this chamber was only visited once a year by the Karyangodl himself he was the only one that ever went in and he only went in once a year nevertheless the poles of the Ark teach us that even when we are totally engrossed in the study of Teda, one must be readily mobile. Our immersion in Teda must be accompanied by the awareness and willingness to embark at any time, to any place, to do whatever it takes to bring a fellow Jew closer to God. So we're never too busy. We can never say, I'm studying now and I can't do this although the study of the children in Torah and Yeshiva cannot be disturbed even for the construction of the temple but if a person an adult is studying Torah he may disturb his study of Torah if it involves helping a fellow Jew come closer to his creator to God may we merit that there be no Jews far from our father in heaven far from God and that we all understand, and we all begin to learn how to make (coughs) a tabernacle of our existence, a tabernacle of our spirituality to God, and a tabernacle for God in every mundane physical item that we ever have in contact with, that we ever come in contact with, and we make each thing a proper dwelling place for God, and we merit to go tonight to Yerushalayim Erakadosh to see the third temple of which will be built by Mashiach Tzidkenu. Shabbat Shalom to all.